Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. That's right, boys and girls. You know what time it is. It's Friday morning if you're up and early. And this is Tyler Chef, and I am the host of the Cashflow Guys Podcast. And guys, it's been a great week. I got to tell you, all kinds of good stuff going on. We're going to be announcing our webinar dates for our Key West Cashflow uh, Initiative that we're working on down here very, very soon. So if you're not on my email list, you need to be on my email list, especially if you're an accredited investor. Get over to cashflowguys.com. Uh, make sure you, you sign up on my email list. You can just click contact Tyler, send me a message saying, keep me in the loop, man. And when it comes out, I will send you an email from our database and you'll get an invite to the webinar. And that's where we're going to talk about all the good stuff we're doing down here in Key West, all the stuff we've learned and how we're making the profit and how we're going to do what we're going to do and, and whatnot. It's going to be a great time. And I look forward to seeing you guys on there. And this week, guys, I was... <laughs> I listen, one of the podcasts I listen to on a pretty regular basis is the Crushing Debt podcast, and it's put out by Sean Yesner. He's a friend of mine, but he's also my real estate attorney here in Florida. Uh, I, he helps me with all kinds of different things. He helps I refer him to clients all the time because he makes the transactions go smoother because he's very level-headed. He's practical advice. He's not one of these Johnny Cochran-type schmooze that just brings drama to the equation. He solves problems, I think. Sean's actually probably talked me off the ledge more than once. But uh, so with that, Sean, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. You've been back. Know, uh, do people get the Johnny, do people get the Johnny Cochran reference? The youngins don't. They probably don't. You know, yeah. If it, if, it, if it, the glove doesn't fit, you must have quit. <laughs> that was, so, so the OJ trial was when I was in law school, I think my first year of law school, and we had a competition in my law school class to see who could cite the O.J. Simpson trial as precedent uh, in a law <laughs> class in front of a professor. Um, so I don't, I don't remember who won, but it was fun trying. Oh, that was quite a debacle. That and we used to think that was complex back then. Now, now look at look at twenty twenty one. It's like, oh, that's nothing. <laughs> you want to see a dumpster fire? Check this out. Look what we got for you. So I brought Hold you. My What's that? Hold my, beer. hold my beer. Yeah, this won't hurt one bit. I brought you on the show, Sean, because I want to talk about lean priority. And it's a subject that's come up a lot lately. Um, and there's, there's a part of the reason I'm asking it is for the note investing industry, folks that invest in notes or folks that originate notes. There's a lot of fear that I believe is not completely uh, founded uh, or justified in my opinion, when it comes down to note space and lean position or lean priority and how it affects seconds or thirds or things like that. So that's what we're going to talk about this week. But first I want to talk about never trust in the condo board, which is fitting because there's those of you uh, that listen to the show know that I'm down here in Key West, Florida. We're opened up a uh, investment fund. We've filed our paperwork with the SEC. We've got our approvals. We're ready to roll. Um, and in, in part, I'm out actually obviously looking for opportunity. I'm knocking on doors and looking for underutilized assets, situations where I can stick our foot in the door and we can get in there and make something better, pull out some profit for our investors. And that's where we're all, what we're looking for. And having Sean on the team, you know, he's a big part of when I find a train wreck, especially if it's related to deeds and titles and things like that. And I need legal help. That's where Sean comes in. Even though he's in Tampa, he can absolutely still help me down here in Monroe County. And of course I own property and, and still backed by Tampa, but, um, there's a condo association here in, in Key West that, of course, those of you, and if you ever watch the news at all, you've probably heard about the condominium down in Miami that uh, 
got sued, or they basically they had a some sort of a settlement issue, and they it collapsed, and unfortunately, a lot of people died. It was very tragic, which spawned a whole bunch of condo associations all over the country. Uh, I know my mom's condo and several people I've talked to you know, it spawned them to get proactive about suddenly, you know, get wake up and smell the coffee. You might want to get out there and see if you're structurally sound and all this good stuff. So long story short, the city of Key West and what I love about Key West is their government. They're very proactive. They want to look, they really care about the community and they really go, I believe above and beyond to make sure that the citizens are safe I and mean, safety's top priority from the police department to the building department to code enforcement there. And I can't believe they're just awesome people. It's amazing. And I've worked in lots of municipalities across Florida and I can tell you uh, work with code enforcement. It's not always the same, but in this case, the building department uh, came out and they found some issues that were pretty obvious of uh, stairways cracking and concrete cracking and whatnot. And the, the long and short of it is, is that the building department felt that there's a, very high likelihood that the building is unsafe and they call upon when that happens guys the the city is not not they're not an engineering firm they have to rely on experts to determine whether or not something is structurally sound so guys when you ever hear stuff come up about structure one of the things you want to do right away is get the opinion of a of a, a an engineer somebody that's certified trained to figure out what's going on i had a weird issue a couple of years ago where one of my buildings like a corner piece about a two by two chunk of concrete, pretty healthy size, just like fell off the building. And I was like, what? I thought somebody hit it with a car, but they couldn't get to it because there was concrete barricades in the way. Couldn't figure it out. Had an engineering company come out there from Tampa and they looked at it and they found out that um, they figured out basically it was a, a stress from when they installed the fence like six years ago and they drilled into the concrete. It, uh, caused a fault line and then water got intrusion got in there we didn't see this little hairline crack caused it to pop the corner off so i had to have it rebuilt and whatnot it wasn't a big deal but fortunately i got the i had a little bit of a little bit of a sweaty moment there when i discovered <laughs> this a chunk of concrete laying on the ground i thought oh do i have a sinkhole so this the condo board calls an engineer out there and they discover that there's about 12 million dollars worth of repairs that are needed to this building it is they have determined that for the time being, the engineer said there's no justification to condemn the building. Nobody has to leave right now, but they do have to get repairs going immediately. There's no no delay. So what does that mean? Well, that means that the association has to pay for all that, has to figure out a way to pay for this, which really means they need to figure out how to get the money together because they don't keep $12 million in their coffers. I can't imagine any condo association on the planet keeps $12 million in their coffers unless they're ungodly massive maybe in dubai who knows so 12 million dollars is a pretty healthy bill especially when you've got you know a couple hundred units to spread it over so the the moral of the story is the assessments are going to be somewhere between 75 and maybe 150 thousand dollars give or take to get this get these repairs going and that's just phase one so first of all guys when you're i want to say when you're dealing with condos you have to look beyond the unit itself. And this is a big misconception that, that people run into a lot is they assume that, well, the I'm responsible for my unit, so I don't really have to look any further. Well, you do. I mean, yes, you want to get a home inspection for your, for your unit. And admittedly, there's very little really to inspect inside of a condom, most condominiums anyway, maybe the exterior windows, the heating and air conditioning, the electrical wiring, 
maybe a plumbing inspection, look for leaks, that type of thing. But beyond that, there's not a whole lot left, a whole lot else to fuss about inside of a condo. But the infrastructure that the condo is in, that's another story. So one of the steps that you need to take when it comes to due diligence, and due diligence is the big part of this episode today, is doing your due diligence by getting a copy of the condo board documents, number one, and go further and make sure that whoever is representing, if you've got a realtor or maybe you're representing yourself, that you get a copy of the condo docs, but also get a copy of the minutes from the meetings. Okay, uh, The condo board minutes are going to pretty much tell the story. Would you agree, Sean, of what's kind of going on? Because they're required to document that. Yeah, they have to. They either record it or that's that's the job of the secretary is to to take the, the meeting minutes. And the other thing that I would suggest, you know, the title company will have to order what's called an estoppel letter. Right. And and what the estoppel letter does is we've and you've talked about it. I've heard other episodes where you talk about estoppel type letters like a tenant estoppel letter or the, the, an association estoppel letter. And basically what it means is it's a letter that uh, in this case, the, the condo or homeowner association, whatever, fills out that gives you all the information. Are there any open or active violations? What is the assessment? Is the assessment paid monthly, annually, quarterly? Uh, You know, all the the various information so that you know, okay, I'm not buying a unit that has 20 active violations and is three years behind in their in their annual assessments. And so you you know and you learn all that information as well. So that's another big uh, piece of due diligence. Now, the title company will have to order it. But um, in order to issue their title insurance policy, but I would suggest you ask the title company to take a look at it. Yeah, that's good advice. And frankly, I insist that my my clients go through it. I go through it with them. If I've never sold a condo in that place or if I haven't looked at at their documents in a while, I'll go through it. I'm not an attorney, but at least I'm scanning for things that might bring up a red flag. And here's a great example of what's going on at this one building here in Key West. And so long story short, these people have this assessment. They have they're 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 going to get hit with this bill seventy five like I said to I don't know one hundred and fifty thousand depending on the size of their unit that's a big bill especially when you're talking about a condo that you could buy for before this couple three hundred thousand dollars imagine getting hit with an assessment that's thirty percent of your property value or twenty five percent of your property value ouch so then what happens yeah. what if they can't pay well if they can't pay the association in which the reality of it is most of the unit owners cannot pay this assessment. They've already determined that they just don't have the money sitting around. So the they'll have to go out. The association goes out to the bank and gets a loan uh, so they can borrow the money. The association can borrow the money until the unit owners can pay them back. So logic would dictate that the association, if they're going to put their neck on the line for this debt, that, they want to make sure they can collect from these owners to service this debt. And sometimes that's the cases. They just can't collect it. The guy can't pay the bill for whatever reason or girl. And that's where the, some of these, these HOA assessment liens come into place because it becomes a lien and it's recorded against the title. Also, right. the second part of that, which I want to, Sean, I want you to, to jump in on as soon as I'm, I get that out is the, the, maintenance fees. And sometimes people get stuck on, they can't keep up with their association fees. We just went through a, a pandemic. People are having a tough time financially. A lot of people did not fare well through the, the COVID mess and they're having significant legitimate financial issues, which means they're going to fall behind on their association dues. And this is just Tyler's prediction. Sean, I'm just going to throw this out there. My prediction is that we're going to see a lot more of these liens coming up because I think that a lot of it just hasn't bubbled to the surface yet. I think that we're 
I think there's a lot of the stuff in the shadows that's that's coming, right? We're going to get a lot more of these lien opportunities presented to us. Like they say, There's we're probably going to see a lot more foreclosures. We're going to see more evictions, they say, although today's paper said something completely different. It's reasonable to think that this is going to become more popular. And I know right. that my investors, especially the folks that maybe they don't have the, the 50K minimum to invest in one of our deals or something like that, maybe they they find a lien and it's like 10, 15 grand and they can buy this thing. And it seems like a solid investment, especially if you get to keep the condo when it's all done. But let's, I want to hear your take right out of the gate about where's the gotcha. Yeah. So it, what we're talking about is lean priority. And so actually one of the parts of, of Florida statute that, that makes a little bit of sense. What Florida statute says is when you record things, the lower the number of the recording, the higher it's priority. So if you have a, a mortgage recorded at book 1000 page one, right. and then you have another document, uh, the second mortgage recorded at book 1000 page 15, well, the lower number book page one is going to be the higher in priority. That's where we get the term first mortgage, second mortgage. That's, that's how that comes about. So the, all of these uh, condominium uh, declarations, the, the homeowner association declarations, they were recorded a long time ago. And, but they all have in them a clause that says, Hey, look, if you're going to buy a unit in this association, your mortgage will be superior to our uh, declaration. And the reason for that is if, if they said, well, we got you we're recorded first in time, we're superior to a first mortgage, no bank would ever lend <laughs> to buy in any association ever. Yep. But with, with second mortgages, judgment liens, those types of things, yeah, the association's documents are recorded earlier. So they're first in priority as to second mortgages, judgment liens, that the only thing that trumps everybody is property taxes. Property taxes even trump first mortgages because, you know, Uncle Sam gets his cut first. Sure. So um, what happens is we get a situation where the, the association says, OK, we got these annual assessments that are due or we've got this special assessment that's due and we're not being paid. Well, like the bank, we have no other option other than to foreclose. And so we're going to foreclose our uh, assessment lien. Right. And so they will they will foreclose. Now you only name people lower in priority as defendants when you do your foreclosure lawsuit. Okay. So if I'm the first mortgage, I'm going to name the second mortgage as a defendant. I'm going to name the association as a defendant. I'm going to name those judgment liens as defendants. But if I'm the second mortgage, I don't name the first. The first is higher in priority to me. So I don't, the first is not a part of my lawsuit. If I'm the association, same kind of thing. The first mortgage is not a part of my foreclosure suit because it's higher in priority. Now the second mortgage is not, the judgment creditors are not. So I'm going to list them, you know, if a judgment creditor, meaning uh, somebody didn't pay their visa bill and visa got a judgment against them and, and recorded that against the house. That's a judgment creditor. So uh, I'm going to list everybody junior to me. I can't list anybody senior to me. And so that's where people start to get into problems because they see, well, this property's worth a hundred grand and there's a homeowner association or condo association assessment of like 2000 bucks, 3000 bucks, 5,000 bucks. I can pick up this hundred thousand dollar property for a steal, but they don't do the due diligence to see that it's a, the association and there's 
$125,000 first mortgage out there that not only sucks up the equity, but creates a deficit. I see. Okay. This, and to be clear, this is a hundred percent avoidable. Yes. It's yeah. See, uh, you can do a title search. I know, I, I think insured title will, I don't want to quote their prices, but I mean, title searches are typically 50 bucks, a hundred bucks. Right. So you can, you can save your, and the reason this came about is I had a client that invested in three different uh, foreclosure sales. She invested about thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 each. So it was around a hundred thousand dollars total right. in three different foreclosure sales. But each one was a foreclosure by an association that had a first mortgage ahead of it. Ouch. And so she spent a hundred thousand dollars to be upside down hundreds of thousands of dollars when probably less than 200 bucks, we could have done three title searches and figured it all out. Wow. I've talked to people that have gotten stung by this, the victim, so to speak. And I asked them the question, I'm like, well, why don't you just get a title search? Did you know that you could get a title search? And I can tell you that in every instance, except for one, the afflicted party absolutely knew that they could get a title search, but they chose not to spend, <laughs> that's good to chuckle when I think about it, but they, they chose not to spend the money because they were bidding on several notes at once. Is there any liability, Sean, because of, to the, maybe to the, to the auctioneer or the county because of the way they do this? I mean, it's kind of, I don't want to sound like a, a, a victim or a, a whiny brat, but it's kind of like not fair to some degree because guys got, you know, they got 50 notes being auctioned off at the county. Is guy going to go out and do 50 lien searches or 50 title searches? Probably not. So what do you say to that guy? I mean, does he, or he does, he just need to zero in on one or two and pay his, pay his couple hundred bucks for his title search and, and move on. Yeah, the, the problem is Florida law says that foreclosure auctions are buyer beware. Mm, okay. So, you know, yeah, I mean, the, the, you've got to come up and I get it. If you're bidding on 50 of these things, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. You know, 50 searches at even 50 bucks a pop is 2,500 bucks. That right. doesn't make, although you hit the occasional home run, 2,500 bucks isn't really that bad a deal, but but still it's it's a chunk change up front. Sure. So there's got to be some kind of system. I mean, even, even a, a free, you know, you can go in, I think every County in the state of Florida, you can go and and look. So you go to the property appraiser, you find the property, you look up who the owner is, you search that owner's name in the, in the County public records, and you can see all the lawsuits filed. In fact, you could even do it that way. You could pull the actual foreclosure lawsuit and see, and if it's a, uh, association that is the plaintiff, then maybe do a little bit more due diligence to see if there's a first mortgage out there. Uh, if it's a, now if it's a mortgage, that's the plaintiff, you're not going to know if they're first or second position. And then maybe you might want to do your title search then, but you can search the lawsuit itself in the County public records. You can search by owner's name and find all the judgment liens and mortgages. And you can find all that stuff for free. You just got to do a little bit of digging on your own. That's why for for 50 bucks, let the title search companies do it. Right. And be done with it. So, okay. Right. We, we designate a property that a note that we want to buy. We've got the address, of the property, we run our search. We see that there's a first mortgage. And just for example, we'll say it's, we, we think that let's say we use PropStream, right? PropStream is a tool that I use and I can look up on PropStream. I can see who the, what the recorded mortgages are provided that they're, 
they're if they show up in the county, in most cases, they'll show up on on PropStream. I haven't seen a case where that wasn't true. So you can quickly in ten seconds go go to PropStream, type in the address or the parcel number, pull up the history, um, and see the lien the lien situation. And it puts the dates and the numbers and all that, the page numbers, so you can see. To your point, Sean, lean priority, who's 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 on first, right? And then right. at that point, so let's say we look at it and go, okay, guy's got a hundred thousand dollar lien, but I know the the property's worth five hundred grand. It's on the water. It's gorgeous, whatever it may be. Uh, so there's equity. At that point, I'm I'm gonna I buy this thing. So now I own this lien, right? Then what? How do I get title to the property? So if if you own this, you own the second mortgage. You mean in in your example? Yeah, I buy this HOA lien, right? Or the HOA lien, right? So or you buy it at the HOA's foreclosure sale or whatever, right? So remember, every secured transaction, whether we're talking about a house, whether we're talking about a car, whether we're talking about you go to rooms to go and you buy a bunch of furniture, every secured transaction is really two contracts. The first is the promissory note. The promissory note says, "I agree to borrow." hundred thousand dollars and I'm going to repay it at 2% interest over 30 years. And my payment's going to be X dollars a month. Right. That's what makes me liable to pay the bank. Then there's the mortgage, the security agreement. And the mortgage says, if I don't pay the note, they can foreclose the house. If I don't pay the note, they can repossess the car, you know, whatever it happens to be. Right. So when we're talking about a, a foreclosure situation, now let's say I buy the property at the homeowner association sale, condo association sale. So I own it now. I didn't sign the former owner's note. So I don't owe the first mortgage a penny. Because you're not the borrower then. I'm not the borrower. I didn't sign the note. Okay. But if I don't pay that first mortgage, they can foreclose the house. So let's flip your scenario for a second. If this were a situation where the first is a hundred and the second is 50 uh, or the association, I buy the association's lien, whatever, and the property's worth a hundred, I'm sorry, the, the, yeah, the property's worth a hundred, but it's 125 first. So now I'm $25,000 negative. Right. And let's say the bank forecloses and I say, forget it. It's not worth it. There's nothing I can do about it. Let the bank foreclose. I'll take the $25,000 loss as an expensive lesson on doing my due diligence. Sure. The bank can't come after me for the $25,000 because I didn't sign the note. I see. Okay. All they can do is foreclose me. Now, the, the problem, one of the problems in the scenario is the instant I own the association, the, the instant I own the property within the association, the association can come after me. So I have to keep the association current until the first mortgage forecloses. Otherwise I do have to pay the association some money, but I'm not going to owe the first mortgage any money because I will, I'm not their borrower. I didn't sign their note. There's no, what we call privity of contract. There's no direct contract between me and the, and the mortgage company. But the association, okay, so you're talking about the monthly after that, because when you buy, if you buy the lien, then the association's made whole for the arrears, correct? Right. And then, right. so I'm you're on the hook about, for the $300 a month or whatever it winds up being. Right. I'm talking about the, the assessments moving forward. So, I so yeah, I, I don't owe any assessments going backwards because I uh, bought at the association's foreclosure sale. Now, one thing to be careful of, if you buy at the mortgage foreclosure sale, uh, you could potentially owe the association if there are back assessments. 
So uh, now if you are the mortgage company, Florida law caps, which you owe the association to 12 months of unpaid assessments or 1% of the mortgage, whichever is less. I see. And okay. I think that only applies to a first mortgage. Um, but if you are a third party bidder, so the, the first mortgage has a foreclosure sale and you're the third party bidder and you bid at that foreclosure sale and there's $5,000 of unpaid assessments due to the association, you do owe that full $5,000. Okay. Or if you buy it, the at the second mortgage foreclosure sale. The only time you wouldn't owe the association is if you buy it their foreclosure sale because that pays them off, presumably. Okay. So if you buy the second, you you now own it, right? You get title to the property. You can now rent it out, right? You can, provided that the condo board allows rentals, of, of course, or the HOA, rather, either one allows right. rentals. But then you can run it out. You can keep the money. Can the first mortgage holder uh, exercise their right if they have it in their their documentation for assignment of rents with assignment of rents then apply or is that too complex? And is that an, it depends and that's fine if it's in, it depends. But, yeah. Uh, I think it's an, it depends because you have that same privity of contract issues. So the, the right to invoke the assignment of rents would only be against the person who signed the mortgage. And as the, as the winning bidder at the foreclosure sale, I didn't sign the mortgage. Now I at the see. same time, um, you know, I've been doing this now 20 something years, I think. Right. Um, I, I can't tell you the last time I saw an institutional first mortgage, you know, the, the big, the bank of America's and the Wells Fargo's and the, you know, those guys, I can't tell you the last time I saw them, um, invoke a, a, an assignment of rents provision on a residential property. Interesting. Um, I've seen them do it commercial. They do a commercial all the time. Right. And, you know, if, if you held a first mortgage and you came to me and said, Hey, let's do the assignment of rents. I've, I've seen it done in that kind of a scenario, but um, I, I would be surprised if an institutional type, you know, big box, so to speak, lender uh, tried to tried to do that uh, in a residential situation. Interesting. So you're not saying necessarily that the language isn't there. It's just that they choose not to exercise it really. Yeah. And the only hesitation I have is that, you know, again, the, the first mortgage is recorded. Right. So when you buy, when you buy the property, you take it subject to everything in the public record. And sure. so the mortgage is recorded. So, you know, it's there. Um, but again, I think there's that privity of contract. I didn't sign the mortgage. So how can the mortgage force an assignment of rents clause on me that I didn't sign? Right. So there's that, that conflict between it's a recorded document. I should know it's there versus right. I didn't <laughs> sign it. So I'm not in contract with the bank. I don't quite know the answer off the top of my head. Yeah. Roll the dice and hope the judge is in a good mood. Right. What right. do you say about title insurance though? I mean, this, it sounds sticky. It sounds like it can be a little, ha have a little hair. I don't you're doing these things. How does title, does will they even insure title on something like this? If I get one of these liens, can I go get title insurance against it for the rears or for the, the past? Yeah. You yeah, you probably can. Now, the one problem there is the title insurance underwriter is going to say uh, that as one of the conditions of getting title insurance, we want you to cure the first mortgage. We want you to pay off the first mortgage or the first mortgage is going to be an exception to the title insurance policy. Okay. So if the first mortgage later forecloses, you can't go to the <laughs> underwriter and say, wait a minute, I got the title. They're going to say, yeah, you knew about it. Right. So, so and I know insured title uh, does title insurance post uh, foreclosure sale. But, um, you know, again, it's, we know the first mortgage is there. So I don't know that title insurance is going to be the fix. Yeah. 
That's cool. okay. That's good. That's good information. Well, I mean, that goes to show you there's there's a lot of things you got to think about, guys, when you're doing the due diligence on these things. Uh, there's a lot of different ways they can go wrong, and it all starts with doing a little bit of homework. These companies, title companies, real estate attorneys, they're out here to help us navigate the shark-infested waters of real estate investing. You, you, you pick up the phone, right? You you put them to work, and you make sure that they're that things are the way they seem. We talked about, and just while we're on the while I have you. Sean, probably some of the best advice I got to thank you for that you've ever given me, which you've given me tons of great advice, is when we first met, you said, you know, you really should consider having an estoppel letter uh, drafted for your transactions and make sure that the tenants and the landlord or the current owner signs them pre-closing and then go one step further and, and write that in as a condition of the contract. And I've done that ever since you told me to do that. And I can hear, I can tell you now, I do it for my clients as well. I don't even know how many transactions I've done now where there's been tenants involved. I've lost count between being playing realtor and playing investor. But the bottom line is I can tell you in all but one instance. No, actually, they lied too. I have caught every single seller or tenant. It's one of the other, and sometimes it's both, misrepresenting either the rent or the terms of the lease or the security deposit. One of those things turned out to be not as it seems. And had I not done that step, thank you very much, Sean, I would have gotten myself into hot water because I would have bought a place that I thought rented for, I don't know, two grand a month to find out it doesn't rent for two grand a month. Or I would have maybe I've actually sniffed out, thanks to you, a couple of those professional tenants that way when I find out that the tenant's full of, you know what? And it's like, right. oh, hey, yeah, I'd come on to you. You're in a month to month. Well, You're going to meet Uncle Sean. <laughs> and, and and the security deposit. So yeah. the, the seller says, yeah, I got a $1,000 security deposit from, from the tenant in unit A. And then when that person moves out and goes, yeah, what about that $2,000 deposit that right. I paid the landlord when I moved in? And you're like, wait a minute, we're, we're $1,000 off here. What's going on? That's right. But yeah, the estoppel letter will, will flush out that as well. Man, that was a good one. Mohawk, we had, they had this uh, disappearing security deposit thing where the seller thought that he told the, the tenants, and he swears he told the tenants that the deposit is self-liquidating. Over time, it just goes away because if they've lived there long enough, it, he gets to keep the deposit. It's like, well, that's interesting. Um, yeah. And the tenant's like, I, oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard of that. I've never heard of that. Yeah, exactly. It's like, in fact, I think Florida statute says rent is rent, security deposit is security deposit, and the two shall not touch. Right. Unless, of course, the landlord needs an extra four grand, and then we make up our rules as we go along. <laughs> okay, you go. What you don't remember? <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, that was that was an interesting one for sure. So, anything you want to add before we wrap up on this topic, Sean? No, I, I think we covered it pretty well, and and I, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to say that the the condo associations or homeowner associations are doing this out of any kind of malice or or desire to trick anybody. I think they're just trying to get paid just like everybody else is. But sure. um, it, it does put, yeah, I mean, I think the key here is doing your due diligence. And I'll, I'll put a plug in for me that I've got uh, a couple of investors that they'll they'll pull their own title searches. They'll pay for their own title searches, but then they send me the title search and they pay me for whatever, half hour of time, whatever it is. And, and I'll review the title search and I'll say, 
you're buying at the foreclosure sale of the first mortgage, or you're buying at the foreclosure sale of the second mortgage, or there's there's real estate taxes owed. So as soon as you buy this thing, you're going to have to pay off the real estate taxes to avoid a tax deed sale, or you know the guy filed bankruptcy, or you know whatever it is. Right. You know I'll t- or I'll tell them I don't see any issues. Go for it. You know hopefully you get the property. Um, and you know it doesn't take me. I charge probably about a half hour's worth of time and. And that's probably about how long it takes me to, to review everything. Exactly. Man, that little that one little step can make all the difference in the world. So, guys, you've heard it. I mean, this isn't, this isn't rocket science. It's a very simple thing you need to put on your list and remember to do. It's got to be a must-have because then you can't sit there crying that you're a victim when you get the, the short end of the stick. And to Sean's point, I really can't blame the associations. They're trying to get the – they got to get themselves paid because if they don't, where the money, where's the money going to come from? It's not going to fall like manna from the heavens. They got to collect it from the owners. So the money's due. There's no disputing that. The money, the money's got to be paid. Now, my only little personal beef is that it's been my experience that condo associations are like a brick wall to get information out of. Uh, try to get these people on the phone. I don't care where you are. It doesn't matter if it's Key West, Tampa, whatever. A lot of times they're very closed mouth. They just they'll send you the minutes. They they're kind of a pain in the butt to deal with sometimes. So be prepared for that. And that's why you want, if you're going to buy a condo, maybe not a lien, but you're going to buy a condo. You know, I want to understand what the condo docs say. Frankly, I would even go so far as to say, if you're buying one of these liens and you're going to eventually wind up with the title to one of these things, you darn sure better understand what the rules are because you can bet your bippy that the association's going to enforce them. The fact that you didn't read the book after you got this lien and took title to this property, nobody's going to care. They're just going to come after you. And then you're going to have to call, pick up the phone and call you. Right, Sean? <laughs> it's like, at that point. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be more expensive. It's going to be more expensive at that point. Exactly. It's going to be a lot more expensive. So I've learned the hard way that you, you pick up the phone, and you call them before there's a problem because Sean's uh, doesn't, it, it's not expensive to hire an attorney as long as you call them first. It's really expensive to hire an attorney when you call them afterwards. That's been my experience. So there's my legal advice for the day, right? I, I, I won't say that I do this, but I've heard that some attorneys charge more to clean up the mess than if you had called them to set it up properly from the beginning. Amen. I, hey, I think they that that's just the way it should be. That should be like a policy or something. I do that. It's like, look, if you've completely train wrecked yourself with a real estate investment, I'll sell the house and, and get you out from under it. But I'm not giving you a deal and I'm not going to feel sorry for you because I got to work my tail off to clean up your 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 mess. I mean, good night. It's like even cleaning right. companies charge more when you make a bigger mess. So <laughs> that's just how it works. Too bad. So sad. So with that, we'll go ahead and wrap it up, guys. I hope you got value out of this. I know you got value out of this. Look into these liens. They can be very fruitful. There's a lot of money to be made in these, especially if you don't have a lot of capital to invest. You can pick up these liens well under 100 grand in a lot of cases, in some cases under 50, under 20 grand. But you need to spend a couple hundred dollars and do your due diligence. You need to get a title search. Find a real estate attorney if, it, if you're not in Florida that you can trust and have them review it. If it's in Florida, give Sean a call. You can go to yesnerlaw.com. That's Y-E-S-N-E-R law.com and reach out to Sean and his team. And I will put all his contact information in the show notes for you guys. So have a great week and we will catch up with you next time. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. 
Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.